Crimson Tower Studios. Hello, Old Worlders. Before we start the show tonight, we want to take a quick moment to acknowledge the worldwide struggle we currently face. The coronavirus pandemic has affected all of our lives. The impact is much greater and hits much closer than many of us have had to deal with before. Many of our friends and family are struggling not only with terrible health crises, but also financial and mental health crises as well. Please know that our thoughts and prayers are with those who are struggling. We ask that everyone do what they can for their fellow human. No matter what country you are from or political party you support, we are all human. We're doing our part as well, and because of this, we're not recording in person as we normally do. Please bear with us in any quality issues as we record 100% remotely for the first time. Stay safe, stay home, and as always, stay grim and perilous. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. I'm one of your hosts, Lance, and tonight I'm not only joined by my co-hosts Matt and Steve, but we're joined once again by the Lord of the Underdeep, Nolan. How is everyone doing tonight? Doing great. Yeah, I'm actually doing pretty good. It's sunny here. Uh, I had a little bit of a snowstorm last night, which that was weird. No storm. Snowstorm yeah. in the midst of everything else that's going on. <laughs> yeah. Like it, didn't last, it didn't last long, but I, I go looked outside and it's like, it's snowing. You know, of course it is. Nice. It's been pretty nice in uh, mid-Michigan recently. Had some rain a little bit off and on, but for the most part, I mean, you know, we're uh, hunkered down like pretty much everybody else trying to ride this thing out, so... Uh, but before we move on to what we've been up to, uh, first we'd like to thank our outstanding Patreon backers. Their generous donations help to make this show possible. All right. Uh, and first on the list is NCJ. I don't know what that stands for, but I'm sure it's awesome. Thank you, NCJ. Yes, thank you very much, NCJ. We do appreciate it. We'd also like to thank Clemens Bruch. Thank you, Clemens, for your support. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. And if you would like to join these fine examples listed above and buy us a beer or some tea, be sure to hop over to our Patreon page and support us. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help us continue to bring you discussions and actual plays in the grim and gritty world of Warhammer fantasy roleplay. Patreon.com slash Old World Podcast. We also have a merchandise store you can check out at oldworldpodcast.com forward slash store. Uh, we just added a Heinrich t-shirt, which uh, just, it's awesome. Yeah. By popular demand. By popular yep. demand. All right. So what kind of gaming you guys been up to this month? Well, uh, as most of the world can attest, a lot of face-to-face interactions are frowned upon in a lot of ways. So I personally have been adapting to the whole COVID-19 situation by playing online with uh, a lot of friends and family through a website called Board Game Arena. So there's a bunch of different sites that do things similar to this, but we've been on Board Game Arena, role-playing games on Roll20. Um, there's a few others, but Board Game Arena is super nice because you it has almost 200 board games that are on there that are either free-to-play or free as long as one player at the table has a premium account. And it has all of the rules are built into it to where it's more like playing an app in that you don't need to understand the rules before you start playing. It kind of walks you through it as you go. It has a built-in 
video and audio chat feature, which is also really nice. So that's what, as far as gaming goes, that's been the majority of what I've been able to do. And you keep talking about it. I need to log on and try it. So that well, does that actually cool. sound pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, we found, I mean, we used to have at least two nights a week where we'd get together and play games. Uh, and we were able to transition that over there to board game arena, you know, very easily. And we have friends, you know, we're in Michigan, but we have friends that live out in Los Angeles and in other parts of the country that are able to jump on and play right, right along with us. And especially using that video feature. I mean, we're, we're able to talk and laugh and see each other. And it's about as close as we can get to sitting around a, a table and playing board games uh, as, as we can manage during this time. Very cool. So what I've actually been up to is like I was saying earlier with you guys is I just beat the latest uh, DLC for Borderlands 3, Guns, Love, and Tentacles. Uh, it's it very, <laughs> yeah, it, it's very Lovecraftian. For uh, sure. Yeah, it, yeah, I like it. You know, this one was a little bit more heavy than the one previous before it, which, you know, was basically a, a casino heist, so uh, Ocean Eleven and stuff like that. I was really happy with how they took this one. So oh. I've been doing that. And also, I got, I upload not uploaded, uh, re-downloaded a game called Bioshock, and I've uh, been playing through that again. I am a big fan of the Bioshock games. Those are yes, all uh, excellent I was, games. I loved them like when they first came out. Like I will admit, in the first game, that twist just blew me away, and I and to this day holds a very special one to my heart. I, I could not agree with you more. I, literally, any time anybody ever says "Would you kindly," I'm like, it sends like chills down my spine. Yeah, it's and just how they just slyly put it in just you i never realized until it was revealed it was like no way yeah those those games are superb and just the balance between like this weird like magical side of things where you can shoot flame and ice and stuff out of your hands while at the same time you're using weapons and mm -hmm. it's they struck a, a really solid balance and the world that you're into you know this under ocean it's just mega city is really neat. Yeah. Yeah. It sets the tone for just a really unsettling experience. Yeah. I love those games, mm -hmm. but that's basically what I've been up to. Just those two things. Huh. Nice. I'll have to go Google that later. I've never played that. So I wonder what the reference is. You so. might, you might recognize portions of it. Like the, the mm -hmm. big daddy is a really well-known enemy that yeah. you fight. It's essentially like this, big armor clad deep sea diver with a huge humongous round drill. helmet yeah and a huge drill in one hand yeah huh okay yeah i'll look into that. yeah it's 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 really would, it's yeah, a stunning sure play the stunning game one. all right well i have been i i don't think it's going to surprise anybody i've been deep into final fantasy final fantasy remake where final fantasy 7 is coming out in a couple of days, I've been being super careful not to watch anything online because uh, I know it's out in the wild and trying to avoid spoilers, but super excited. Took a couple of days off. So I've been playing Final Fantasy 12 on my PlayStation because I've been excited about that. And honestly, that's what I've been doing. I've been playing Warhammer and, and Final Fantasy. So exciting. All right. What I've been up to pretty much, um, I did the... D7 demo. I played through that. Uh, I brought back a lot of memories from 
uh, just it's it's gonna be awesome. Um, besides that, just gaming wise, when I got time, I've been doing a lot of Modern Warfare too. Um, just kind of love grinding here and there. Uh, but I'm really stoked about the Final Fantasy VII release that's gonna be out here. That's gonna be awesome. Can't wait. Awesome. All right, so. Let's move on to announcement and news. This is a part of the show where we keep you up to date on Woofrup and related news. First up, I think, Matt, we have some new Meet the Team articles. It's true in Cubicle 7 related news. There were a couple Meet the Team articles. Uh, the first one with our good friend, friend of the show, T.S. Lucart, talks about his current and past involvement in Woofrup. Has some pictures of him using the GM screen, an actual printed copy of it, official copy of it, and it looks awesome. And actually, the dimensions of it seem larger than what I was expecting, so I'm not disappointed by that in uh, any way whatsoever. And he does, in that article, drop a teaser about uh, there being a section referring to chaos weapons and that how that will eventually come into play. So that is ties in directly to some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today, mm-hmm. which is exciting, mm-hmm. but it's always good to see and hear more from TS. There was another article as well from Clara Marie Morin, who is an artist with cubicle seven. She's done several pieces, including uh, some art from the enemy in shadows. Uh, and she's also working on the age of Sigmar Soulbound rulebook as well, which is slated to come out soon, like very soon. I- I've, we don't follow Soulbound as, as closely as Woofrup, obviously, but yeah, that's uh, that's one I plan to pick up. I'm excited to just just to see, probably just the core, but just to see what it's all about, you know. The classic thing that all of us role players say to each other is, oh, "I'm just gonna buy just the core rulebook, then that's it, and then you know I'll get around to playing it someday, and then you never <laughs> play it, and you, but you buy more books anyways." <laughs> And over at the Warhammer community article, we have Charlotte Hamilton. She has appeared on actual plays for both Encounter Roleplay and the Money Blood podcast. But not only that, she is the editor of The Ratter, which is a Wolfrup 4th edition fan publication. And I actually enjoy reading these. Whenever I get a new one, it's like, oh, these are pretty cool. Like These are fans, like what their ideas and stuff like that. Very helpful. And yeah, not a- only that, she is also... Uh, the main one of the main on the discord servers the rat catchers guild as well as the age of the soulbound discord server yeah she's a huge community uh person that works with mm-hmm. with uh you know woofrup and fourth edition specifically um so that article is pretty awesome yeah and also for cubicle sevens we have a gma art reveal we have a slight piece for a uh, slanesh dark ritual and I'm going to tell you folks, like when I saw this, my immediate was, nope, I'm out of here. You know, <laughs> this like, like I loved this picture, but it like, it's honestly, it's one of those, like in the comedies where you open a door and be like, you know, this isn't where I put my coat and just close the door. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. such a great <laughs> reference. Oh, no, thank you. So long. <laughs> nope. Uh, like it, it's amazing what they can do for stuff like these. Absolutely. Uh, in their uh, Wolfrup Cubicle 7 actual play article, uh, the Cubicle 7 players ran an upcoming adventure written by T.S. Lucar called Deadly Dispatch. And update number two, it was a short update. Um, the enemies in shadows and the companion are printing, though, of course, uh, due to everything going on at a, a reduced capacity. Yeah, there were several very pretty pictures 
of the the Enemy in Shadows book, like printed copies of the books in that article too, which were awesome. Mm-hmm. So. And uh, Cubicle 7 hasn't stopped giving us PDFs for first edition. We got a couple more for the Doomstones campaign for first edition. Uh, part 2 and Part 3 have been released. Uh, Blood and Darkness and uh, Part 3 is Death Rock. Both uh, $9.99, available at DriveThruRPG. And they also put out a very small article, which is Shadows over and Sewer Rules. So there are sewer rules that were part of the original shadow over Bogenhofen that didn't make it into the game for enemy and shadows, but very simple. It just talks about sewer construction movement in the sewers. And there's a little handy diagram with like some fourth edition rules. So it's a really small little article, but it's, it's interesting. If you're going to do anything in the sewers as a GM, it might be worth like just taking a quick look at it. It might be helpful. Yeah. Definitely. Especially if you have like, like Mm -hmm. a Skaven campaign. (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> if you're going to spend time in the sewers, like you said, that's that's one that would be important. We also got a Wolfram blog post from Podrick Murphy. This one is called Hunting Monsters for Fun and Profit. In this article, he talks about the, quote, low-hanging fruit of role-playing games, which is hunting a monster, discussing how to subvert the trope, like the classic trope of hunting monsters. Um, sometimes it's okay to let your characters be heroes. <laughs> and oh, as, as we can all agree... <laughs> um, hunting monsters is fun i remember i actually wrote a couple encounters for uh some of the old star wars that i ran all revolving completely around hunting these big monsters which was pretty fun yeah um he, he gives you some advice on how to set up a monster hunting scenario there's a new trait immunity as well as creating uh some rules for how to create silvered weapons which whether you need them for their actual stats or not a silvered weapon is awesome it is actually looked into those rules for the actual play that we are playing for our Patreon uh, vault episode. <laughs> so mm, good to know. Good. Thanks, to for, that. Know. Thanks yeah. for that little tip. Interesting. <laughs> There's another blog article that just came out recently by Clive Oldfield. That was all about Woofer magic systems, hmm. which could, couldn't have came at a better time considering that <laughs> is our, the bulk of what we're talking about today. Wait, we're going we're to all magic. The, yeah. Right. Some of the topics that he covered were casting, channeling, touch spells, area of effect, grimoires, and more. Obviously, a lot of that we're going to touch base on today. The one thing I, I so he had this really interesting house rule on using the melee polearm for touch, for touch spells, using the the your staff is like an extension of your hand. So instead of sure. forcing you to use a brawling test, you could use like a melee polearm. Which I thought was an oh, interesting house. That's role. actually pretty cool. Yeah. And over, yeah. we got some Ben Sherry, Andy Law, and Graham Davis have enlightened us with some more blogs. You know, they've, uh, Graham Davis has introduced Zotes and stats for them. Andy Law, you know, in his magnet wisdom, you know, new articles on horses and cats. And Ben Sherry, he, one of the best blogs I've seen by him was the Tides of War mass combat rules. Yeah. Because in Warhammer, what I think about is, you know, just two armies smashing into each other. And that's real great now that we kind of have rules for those. And if you would like to check these out, you could just go to oldworldpodcast.com slash blogs. 
Yeah, we'll have art. We'll have links for for all these blogs on there. That way, you don't have to remember all the individual stuff. Just go to the oldworldpodcast.com blogs, and we'll have all the links there for you. They'll also be in the show notes as well. All right. In other news, the Ratter, uh, the Rat Catchers Guild Discord released their latest edition of the Ratter. There's an interview with J.G. O'Donohue. There's elf and dwarf trappings, high elf talents, skills, and trappings. And also there's uh, included rules for runesmiths and runes in general, which Woo! that's awesome. And of course, <laughs> Yay! Uh, Warhammer the Old World, a new army is revealed, Kislev, and a new unit. It looks like the Ice Guard of Kislev. It's a guard that uses ice magic of the Ice Queen, uh, the warrior women, and it looks like they got ice blades and arrows. Um, that can't hurt in combat. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the concept art looks really cool for them. As some news regarding our Battlefield allies. Our friends at Garblay Games unfortunately had to cancel Garcon, but they still have a lot of excellent content on Wolfrup and other games. So as always, be sure to check them out. And also, I would like to do another shout-out to Reckless Dice Podcast. Like earlier when we were talking about uh, Shadow over Bogenhoff and Sewers, they actually are now starting the Enemy Within campaign. So last time I talked, they were doing the... Uh, Uber's Reich Adventures, so they've done all of them, and now they're starting The Enemy Within, which uh, is is going very great. Like, I just love the whole, how well those two, that those people are going through these adventures. Awesome. Whew. All right, well, that was a lot of news. So let's get on to the main topic of the show tonight. So on tonight's show, we're going to be discussing... Probably, man, one of our most requested topics, probably of all time, which is magic. Uh, we have waited a while because we wanted to get our hands on fourth edition and really get a good handle on how magic works. Not just like reading the rules, but actually playing through it, playing different versions of different um, spellcasters and in different situations. So eventually, Nolan came to us and said, Hey, enough is enough. We got to do magic. And so here we are. So, old worlders, pay no mind to spoilt milk or withering crops, for they are the least of your worries as we dive into Woofrup 4th Edition Magic on tonight's episode of the Old World Podcast. All right, so real quick format for tonight's show. We're going to talk about magic. So we're going to talk about what is it. So like the context and the context of, of the Warhammer world, how it works, so like what the rules are, what you can do, so there are a bunch of options, including optional rules, um, the companion rules, different spells. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about tips for the GM and players and how some some things we've learned along the way that we think could help your game. All right, so what is magic in Warhammer? Uh, you can check out our episode 002 of the Old World podcast. Uh, we did a high-level discussion of magic in the Warhammer world. There's a core rulebook starting on page 229. It goes through the Athir, uh, kind of goes through the source of magic, little brief history of like the old ones, the collapse of the gates, uh, the vortex and Ulthan. Uh, it moves on to the winds of magic, talks about all eight of, of them. Then it moves on to the language of magic and then the eight lores. Awesome. In addition, it's important to know there are different types of magic, right? So it's not so you have the eight lords of magic, which are like the eight winds of magic, but there's also high magic, which is what the high elves use. That is like a blending of the multiple winds of magic, um, and so it talks a little bit about that. And then dark magic, right, or the black wind. So this is things like 
necromancy. You know, it's it's like high magic in that they're using multiple wins, but it's unordered and uncontrolled. It's very dangerous. And then beyond that, there's a bunch of other lores of magic and, and magical kind of uh, practices throughout the, the Warhammer world. Chaos magic, Skaven magic, Ogre magic, even Greenskin magic. And their spells are some of the best, like Gork's foot smashes everybody on the battlefield or whatever it might be. So there's a bunch of details. We talk a little bit about this history, you know, in a different episode. And the the important thing to know is, like, if you're going to have magic in your game, read those parts of the core rule books so you have a basic understanding of the background of magic. And keep in mind, your average villager in the old world is not going to know anything about it. But you as a GM probably need to know at a bare minimum what's in the chapter. Brings us to how magic actually works. So there are a couple different ways that you can learn magic, all of which are through talents. So there's three main talents. Each one works a little bit differently. These are on pages 133 is where you can start seeing this information. That's uh, in the talents chapter. The first way is arcane magic, which arcane magic gives you, you have to select one of the eight different lores. And then within those lores, there's a, uh, it's broken up into different actual spells that you're able to learn. One of the interesting things about arcane magic is that the number of spells that you can learn is based on the number of spells that you already know. So the more spells you know, the more it's going to cost for you to learn additional spells. The next way that you can learn magic is one that we haven't dug into really yet in uh, um, our actual play or even in some of the different character episodes that we've done. That is chaos magic, which largely works the same way in that you have to spend XP for every spell that you want to learn. But what's different is that the cost never increases. No matter what, it's always 100 XP to learn a spell. However, with every spell that you take, you also gain a corruption point, which is so fun to consider the possibilities <laughs> fun i but, like uh, how you said well, fun there well and i like how it encourages you like it it's tempting you to take on even more right like if it only ever costs 100 xp for a spell then why not take another spell right instead of with arcane magic it eventually gets to the point where you might have to spend a thousand, you know, XP. two or th- two or three hundred, yeah, you know, even early. Simple spell, like at least with chaos magic, it's oh, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred. Well, there you go. And now I have an extra arm. But what's to <laughs> say, right? There's no guarantee of that. Um, and then finally, the the for the more basic spells, you uh, will find that with the talent of for petty magic. Which, when you take petty magic, these are again more basic spells that don't require heavy channeling or things like that. Uh, And when you take it, you immediately can learn a number of spells based on your willpower bonus. So even right out of the gate, when you take this talent, you'll have access to usually, I would say no less than two or three spells. And the nice thing about that initial cost. And the nice thing about petty magic is that most of the spells have a casting number of zero. You just have to succeed at your test in order to cast them. Uh, but something I wanted to mention for arcane magic, right? So, like we mentioned, how you have to choose one of your uh, lores, right? But there is also a set of just like normal arcane magic that, regardless of the lore or the color of wind you choose, right. you get you get those. But- Right, You get access to choose amongst all these arcane spells that are kind of like, quote-unquote, generic arcane spells. 
as well. A, a step up from petty, but not quite as massive uh, in some cases or as impactful as some of the more specific lore-based spells. Right. But yeah, mm-hmm. there's certainly a lot in here, and we've uh, even got some more in the Enemy and Shadows Companion. Certainly, there'll be more down the road to look forward to as well. Right. Chaos spells have their own, with the Enemy and Shadows, their own chaos arcane. Like, they're, they're general. It doesn't matter what you know chaos god if it's nurgle magic or zine's magic or whatever like any of the chaos gods can choose spells within they have like a generic list just like they do for the color magic there's a generic list of arcane chaos has a generic chaos list too sure. so in addition to the talent the talents are how you learn the actual spells the way you cast the spells is using the language magic advanced skill So those are the two things that you need to learn and advance in order to be successful with casting these. In addition, there's a lot of talents that are important to have or important to at least consider when using a lot of magic. Second sight is interesting. This is a talent, whether you are able to cast spells or even like a heavy magic user or not, second sight lets you see the winds of magic and how they coalesce and materialize in the actual world. So you might be looking at a mirror on the wall and the rest of the party just sees a mirror. Well, if it's if it's haunted or imbued with magic somehow, if you have second sight, you'd be able to see the magic, you know, consuming or swirling, the winds of magic, you know, changing somehow. And that could be really important. We just played an actual play earlier today where that was substantial and gave us a healthy amount of information. So that's definitely a, a very important talent if you're going to be around and dealing with magic a lot absolutely Mm -hmm. with the spells there's different ways to actually cast that most spell users are going to have a grimoire that they can keep and write spells into in order to cast spells that are in your grimoire you have to have it available and you have to be able to read it as you're trying to cast the spell alternatively you could just memorize spells which is done a little bit differently but no matter what, you need to have access to the spell to be able to memorize it or even cast it. Again, the, the talents are how you gain access to the spells, but the advanced skill of language magic is how you actually cast them. Right. So, as Matt just said, you use language magic to cast a spell. But, well, you know, what does that mean? So your skill, language magic, is what you got to use to roll under. And we got critical casting. Critical casting is when you roll a double on a casting. What that means is you also now have extra power. And uh, in the rule book on 234, it explains that you can use critical wound, which means if a spell does damage, it also inflicts a wound. Total power. The spell is cast no matter what the uh, the CN level is or your success levels, but it can be dispelled. Or unstoppable force, if you score enough SL, your success levels, you to cast it, it can't be dispelled. So you kind of can pick between one of those three to kind of boost your spell as you would. If you roll a critical or doubles, that's a successful test, right? Not a fumble. Mm -hmm. That you cast the spell immediately, even if you don't get enough success levels to get the casting numbers. Each spell has a casting value or casting number that they would have to use to reach. It might be two or it might be five or it might be 10. And that would be the number of success levels you need to roll in order to cast that spell. But 
if you roll a double while casting that is a successful, right, not a fumble, but a critical success, then regardless of how many success levels you get, you automatically have enough power to cast the spell. Rolling a critical is great because you get that extra overpower. You get to choose those options, but there's a Which downside. Which can be huge. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if yep. you have a, a spell with a casting cost of like, or a channeling number of 11 or 12, that could take rounds, rounds and rounds to go off. Or if you get lucky, it could go off right away. Obviously, luck also plays into <laughs> rolling on the miscast table because those can be quite deadly <laughs> themselves yeah. as, we've, as we've seen. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. right and plus plus rolling a critical even if it's successful as i think nolan's going to go into here is a minor miscast as well yeah uh, one thing i wanted to mention real quick is the instinctive diction is a talent that is very important if you are going to have a full career as a spellcaster instinctive diction does not require you to roll in the minor miscast table if you roll a critical which is again that's huge 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 because that's the difference of a paper cut or your party exploding it it is well think about think about on the on the actual play for i mean i guess if you haven't listened up to like what episode five or six the spoilers here but blood cano right that was a minor miscast and look at the giant impact it had in the story it was hilarious but it was a minor miscast, and and she critically cast that. So she rolled a double, succeeded, and I think she was trying to do something like purify water. Oh right? yeah, she was trying yeah. to purify some water to right to treat the wounds of somebody. Yeah, so she succeeded. And that just also proves our fact, you know, like purify water, like a CN of zero, maybe it's one. A pe- it's a petty spell. Yeah, yeah, it's a petty spell. She almost died uh, as a petty spell, not calling down a comet or holding back an orc invasion, just, oh, I'm going to make this dirty water better. Yep. It's a beautiful way that I think that the rules reinforce the risk of of Warhammer, right? This simple, tiny little spell. And to Matt's point, that talent, I mean, if I'm going to play a long-term career as a spellcaster, like if I'm playing a campaign and I care about my character and I'm a spellcaster... That needs to be one of your top priority talents to sure. obtain. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, Instinctive diction and arrhythmic attunement. Those are the two that keep you from rolling on the miscast table as, you know, whenever possible, which for my dollar, rolling on the miscast table are, have developed some of the most exciting and memorable moments in all of role playing. But if your goal is to stay alive, those talents are going to help. <laughs> help you stay alive for sure yeah. and the miscast yep. table is not something you want to roll in often if you want to stay alive <laughs> but like we just said you know magic is unstable but so with magic if you get the the casting number let's say it's five and you ended up getting seven for your casting number you just did what games terms overcast and if you get two over your your casting number you get added benefits and most of the spells even say, Hey, for every, you know, more, you get maybe more damage. You know, you can target another creature. You can hit somewhere longer. Like if it's a short range, you can make that long range. And the thing is for every two, you can add another. So you go from short to long, you know, you can do anything with overcast. 
I think one of the best things you can do with Overcast is add targets, right? So, like, shoot that mm-hmm. lightning bolt, and I overcast by four. I can make that lightning bolt hit three people now. Yep. Just that this this really hammers home how, again, how uncontrollable magic is. And I love how they built into the system this feeling that you are, even if you are have the all of the right talents, you're never really in control of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. That's just normal, is normal. You know, normal colors, fire, life, light, metal, beast. That's a two over. With Dar, it's only a one. So if it's a control of four and you get a seven, that's three overcasts right there. Like, that is insane. Huge. But- Dar. So with with Dar is, is like a new rules that's in the Enemy in Shadows Companion for casting or channeling it's uh with dar we'll talk about that a little bit more but it's important to keep in mind that there are even some magics are even more unpredictable and uncontrollable than just standard magic Mm -hmm. uh remember that was and a critical casting was that's a successful double if you fumble if you get a double on a casting if you fail it all you do is just you roll minor miscast but you don't get to do the spell. You know, you you failed to cast it. And like Matt said, with the talent, that really does help. So we also got now Grimoires. So Grimoires, yeah, are books that you can uh, add spells in. You know, like we talked about earlier, I don't want to spend a thousand experience to get one more spell. I'm just going to put it in my Grimoire. But what that does is because you're doing it through a book, the CN number is doubled. So instead of it being like a 5, it's going to be now a 10. So while it is nice that you don't have to use experience to know that spell, it can get kind of hard to cast. Yeah, so think about this. So something, it's an idea I admit I've toyed with as a GM for a while, is what if I gave my party... What if I allowed them to find a book inscribed is like this incredibly powerful spell, right? They can't learn it, but they can read it out of the grimoire, but it's double casting value. Like how incredibly tempting might it be to try to cast this spell that is going to be so dangerous for you Mm because it's double the casting value. And if you're wondering, like, how am I supposed to role play that? Well, just like you do in real life, like you're reading a book, you know, you're trying to fight off an orc while reading a book not exactly the easiest to do you know so that's why the cn number is doubled right. and if you're like lance and can barely pronounce anything yeah. you know <laughs> being able to read out of a book in a heat of a battle is it, not going to be the easiest thing in it, the world. is there an opposite talent of like in indictive uh instinctive diction instinct, see i can't even say that right if there's a talent <laughs> that's like the opposite of that like terrible diction that is a talent that i personally have I think we need to house school that. We need to write that talent. <laughs> Terrible diction. Uh. <laughs> Terrible diction. <What? laughs> yep. So, but what if you don't want to have terrible diction or distinctive diction? You can use ingredients. So what ingredients does is if you have to roll on the major miscast or minor miscast, if you use ingredients it reduces the steps. So major becomes minor, and minor doesn't affect you at all. 
you know, and this really helps. Like, what if I don't want to spend the 100 experience? I'm just going to have ingredients to use for the contraption for this spell. However, for ingredients, you have to use silver shillings. The number for that is the CN level. So if you're casting a CN 12, you need 12 shillings worth of ingredients for that lore. So you can't really use uh, ingredients for a lore of fire for a lore of life. Yeah, this is a this is one of those points where I think, in my experience, everybody forgets about that. Right? We have mm-hmm. too many uh, other yep. things going on. But hey, man, next time you're in town, say hey, I want to go buy some ingredients for a spell. Right? Spend some of that money, and then mm-hmm. have it so that it might make things a little better for you. Oh, what about not even? like going into town and buying it, but sometimes it's something simple as like a flower or, you know, some bones or something that you could easily just come across in a lot of cases out in the wild. Absolutely. So like, so I immediately think make your player do an outdoor survival check. And depending on the number of success levels is the number of shillings worth of stuff they find that would go. I mean, that would be kind of a house rule, but that is a great idea. I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit here saying this, but it's this just kind of hammers home the fact that there, if you're going to play a spellcaster, there's so much you need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. So, and even something like ingredients, it's only ever listed in these couple paragraphs in the book, and then in the under the actual different lores of magic, it has listed on there what ingredients are going to be important. If you're a player and you have, you know, lore of whatever it's going to be, lore of light you should have written down in your character sheet or in your notes all of the different ingredients that are useful for those spells so that you can, anytime it gets mentioned or gets brought up, or you can bring it up and say, hey, are there, you know, do I find some moss on a tree or whatever it is that uh, could be useful Mm -hmm. for that, that you're aware of it. So it's not something that gets missed. Right, which also, we are talking about magic, so it's a little bit of a segue for it. The income endeavor and stuff like that, the money to burn, that also really hones in like I'm going to buy all this for ingredients. So I don't end up, you know, exploding the next time I roll on the miscast table. (laughs) Right. Because I wanted to, you know, change a light bulb or something. So some limitations to cast magic, you must be able to speak, you know, that's mostly the thing. Like you're calling down in the ancient, uh, in the language, to do all this stuff, you have to mostly be able to speak. And the rules do say that the higher the CN number usually is the louder your speak is. So maybe you're going to be drawing some people in and be <laughs> like, that guy is shouting on top of a mountain. I don't think he's going to cast fireball. Uh, you can't uh, be in the middle of town and whisper a spell that's going to unleash demons. You're going to be shouting that at the top of your lungs. We, uh-huh. we have a we have a spell for that in the the companion and I think it's a the highest casting number I've seen and I think it's 16. Yeah. I yes, I believe so. And also, I love that spell. <laughs> Try reading that out of a grimoire or better yet, oh. uh, go to cast out of a grimoire and get a critical success. We'll see. Um, but that's so that's what I good. think think about this though. Think about the like all right, so oh there's a chaos cult ritual to bring forth a demon or whatever. They're just casting that spell out of grimoire. That's all they're doing. 
So. Yeah, uh, and also the GM maybe may put on increased difficulty, you know. You must be able to speak and you got to say it louder. Well, maybe the winds aren't as strong in this area, so it's going to be maybe a few more. You need a few more uh, success levels to get off this big spell, you know. Or, Talk or, with your GM. Right, or maybe you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean when there's a storm you're also being boarded by dark elf corsairs and a giant octopus monster is pulling your mast apart. I might as a GM say, yeah, you're casting, you're going to have a higher difficulty for your cast test here <laughs> because there's a <laughs> lot to distract you. Yeah. And uh, speaking of the higher costing spells, that's where channeling will take place. Definitely. And this has got to be just for a magic user in general. I mean, this is where it gets kind of tense because you're rolling multiple rounds to try to get enough success levels to cast these higher level spells and of course it will take the advanced skill channeling to even attempt this but basically yeah i mean if you need to get a, a spell off that's cn of 12 i mean what i mean we've seen some fights we've had where it takes three or four turns or rounds to even cast it um, while they're just reading and just waiting while we kind of like fend off the beasts. <laughs> right. Well, and, Even... and, to point, and to a point, right, once you f- get that number, it's cumulative, right? So it builds up. So I get six this turn, five next turn, whatever. Once you've met your number, you're still not done. You still have to do your language magic cast test the next round. So Oh, absolutely. So mm-hmm. like channeling, channeling is one of those things that's like necessary, but also like... What what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it it can be like Steve just said. This could take several rounds for me to cast this spell. And you know, over those rounds, that's an extra person that doesn't have their sword in their hand. You know, it's just really they need to focus on the spell, and hopefully, no one bites them in the leg or something. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that um, even then, that's then more rules where I think they have to pass the a cool test, or they lose everything that they've built up. Right. Yeah, they sure do if they're interrupted, which hey, is a great strategy. If you're fighting a wizard, he's channeling a spell, um, do what you can do to distract him. Yeah, because shoot if at him. Because he doesn't pass that cool <laughs> test, yeah. Shoot um, at him or pick up a suffer, rock and throw it. Right? Yeah, I, I mean, he has to suffer a minor miscast and lose all of his success levels already accrued, so he has to start from scratch. And see, I think channeling is what makes it so... Uh, so if you think about, well, how am I going, if I'm going to min-max, right, a min-maxer, if I'm going to make a magic caster that's really going to do it, if you want a powerful magic caster, you have got to sink your experience into channeling, willpower, intelligence, and magic language, those four things. Because being able to consistently roll lots of success levels on your channeling test is how you make it so that you don't... That the oh the battle's over and I'm still channeling, or yeah thanks a lot <laughs> yeah or two of my guys just died because it's taking me so long to cast this spell. But here's the thing: if you're dumping experience into all of that, you're not dumping it into toughness, right? Or into other things which is going to affect your skills to be able to survive and do other things. So it's it's a trade off. Be with being a wizard and i think the channeling rules really make that obvious because if you try to be like a catch-all wizard like say you're doing magic but you're also going to be a great into oh i'm also a great this and that or whatever and then at that point you're just an elf but if if you're whatever you're going to do 
you know, if you don't focus on it, then your channeling is going to take a lot of rounds. I think this is one of the things for me is that if you, you kind of have to be all or nothing, right? If you want to really make it as a spellcaster, you need to spend the time and just focus on this more than anything else. Because otherwise there you're at this constant risk of catastrophe. So not having the right talents, not putting enough into the right characteristics or into these uh, advanced skills. It's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough to not cause more harm than good. Absolutely. And, and, and then with channeling, it also has uh, critical channeling and fumbles as well. Uh, with critical channeling, though, um, like you were saying, Matt, it, it helps to have the right skills and talents you need because if you get a critical channeling, yes, your, your mighty spell goes off the next turn no matter what. But you have to roll on the minor miscast table unless you have etheric attunement talent. So this is a second talent that helps you avoid a miscast because you did so well. Think about that. <laughs> there are two talents here that save you from having bad things happen to you because you got a critical, a successful right. critical. And it's such a weight off the shoulder to just be like, oh, it cast and it was awesome. It did automatically. It was powerful. Or I got to roll on a miscast table and oh, no. <laughs> right. As with fumbles, though, of course, uh, roll double digits or if it ends in zero, it's a fumble and you suffer a miscast. But on this miscast, you got to consult the major miscast table. <laughs> so this is this is something that's different than the normal casting, right? If you fumble on normal casting, it's minor miscast. But if you fumble on channeling, it's major miscast. And, oh, you don't just fumble on doubles. You fumble on anything that ends with a zero. So, essentially, you have twice the chance to fumble channeling as you do casting. A essentially, a, a consistent 20% chance. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, depending on what your, your, uh, what your willpower is and what your skill is. Because the higher that is, the less you'll have in the fumble category. But it, no, double, it doubles whatever your normal fumble category is. And it's... Right. Yeah, it's, it's still... Channeling is one of those things where, so for the spellcaster, like you could, you could just do like low level CN spells and rarely need to channel. And trust me, we've been, we played a lot of games. How many times has spells like low casting level spells, like eavesdrop and open lock and things super, super helpful, right? Touch to sleep. Yeah. just... Mm -hmm. I mean, petty spells are where it's at in the regular fighting and doing your your can't campaign. Pet petty spells will be probably what ninety percent of the spells you will want right. to use quickly. Right, unless you're setting bodies on fire, in which case you channel. <laughs> <laughs> Little inside joke from the old world podcast actual play there. So. Yep. Okay, so different wins have different casting and channeling rules. I don't want to dig into all of them. So take an example of one of the color magics. Like, so, you know, like amber or um, like fire magic, it, it, you can different color. Each one has a special rule in the rule section that applies to only using spells with that magic. For example, with the lore of beast, uh, whenever you successfully cast a spell from the lore of beast, you also gain the fear one creature trait for the next 1d10 rounds. So you basically can give yourself the fear creature trait just by casting a spell. And each different color magic has its own special rule like that. And so does Dar. 
it's important stuff. There is a lot of variety, but again, something easy to forget. I might cast that heaven spell, but did I know that I also get this other benefit from it? And then Dar is another optional, right? That's in the enemy shadows and companion page 78. Dar is so dangerous. And yeah. we already talked about before, right? So you overcast for every one success level above instead of every two. All your doubles not only miscast, but also count as a corrupting influence. In mm-hmm. addition, you have the possibility of causing a major miscast and corrupting influence for everybody within willpower bonus yards of you. It and that's is, if you, it's an eight. Yeah, if you roll an eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is and also I'm going to add on to that because we were talking about Zeech on the last episode. So you have, yes, doubles, you have eight, you have zero. If you're doing anything with Zeech and you're in his influence around there, if you roll anything with a nine, yeah, you got a minor miscast and it's a new talent. We didn't talk about this much last time. This uh, fused with magic talent. You get that. You know, it's just, what is that? Nine, eight, zero, double. That's four ways you can miscast right there. And six other numbers in the, in a D 10. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's exactly, that's exactly right. Your chances to miscast go up huge. In fact, I ran a game. I mentioned this before with my cousins, That'll be a vault episode. I ran two of them through a mini campaign where they were both cultists of Zinch. And man, the miscast happened so often. It was hilarious. All right. So there are other few rules. I'm just going to go through these quickly. Armor messes with magic. Just be aware there are negative effects. However, depending on the the lore, um, it might be negated. So the lore of metal can still wear metal armor without penalty. The war beast can wear leather armor without penalty. Um, everybody else has penalties. So dispelling is another thing. Can dispel spells when they are cast. So like if you are a magic user and there's a magic user on the battlefield, you roll an oppose test and you can dispel the spell before it goes off. Or if the spell is already persistent and in play, you can use an extended test of your, your magic language. And once you get the original casting number of the spell, you can dispel it. So it's an interesting concept here where essentially wizard fighting wizards kind of thing. I love that idea of seeing like multiple wizards on a battlefield, just like arms out at each other, like casting spells, dispelling spells, going back and forth and the kind of chaos and hell world you'd be in. If if that was actually something that you were even near. Right. Right. So I imagine I imagine to the wizards, like the all the m- millions of soldiers dying around them in the battlefield are just like tiny distractions. They need to focus on that one other yep. wizard on the other side of the battlefield. Yeah. And then uh, one last thing, using warp stone. It's a very bad idea, um, though I think Nolan thinks it's a very good idea. It um, is amazing. <laughs> you can double your success levels um, when you use warp stone to cast spells. However, it is a corrupting influence, so you're just bringing the corruption along. So I think Warpstone is just a very simple rule that is insidious, just like Warpstone is. So I love mm-hmm. it. But like what Lance said, you double your success levels. You know, what if you already had like a if you had a big amount already, like if you have a pretty high channeling or language magic, 
you use warp stone, you could theoretically cast huge amounts of you know spells. You could reach that high end spell just using your language magic. You don't even have to channel. Right. So we talked about channeling how it can take time, right? In at least two turns, and it, you know, or probably more likely three or four. But instead, I have some warp stone. Uh, let me take the risk. I'm just going to cast now. And if you get enough, you get three success levels. Well, that turned into six, and you cast your spell immediately. You mm-hmm. know, you might grow an extra limb, as we like to say, but it, it works. Yeah. Right. And I guess it's all about the risk and like the timing. Like, do I need this to go off for my life? <laughs> for right. My character's life at mm-hmm. this time? Yeah. No. And honestly, when you think about magic and Warhammer, I mean, what it really comes down to is risk versus reward. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So no matter how you prepare, the risk is always there. Yep. <laughs> you can learn all those talents. You can learn and see, this is what I love about magic, right? So we always talk about Warhammer. You could play a character for years and have 10,000 experience or 50,000 experience built into that character. But that little bitty goblin could roll an 11 on you and that's it. You roll poorly and you're done. You just, if you don't have a fate point, you're dead. Magic is like that, but worse. Because you're not only potentially, you know, not just you that are dying, you might condemn a whole town to their death. Right. With, you know, in a, with a bad roll or even not a bad roll, right? We talked before, I think, about how something as simple as spoiling all the milk in town or making all the beef go rancid, like that could literally destroy a town. Right. If you're, mm-hmm. if you have a miscast and all the crops wither in a hundred yard radius, that could destroy a town. Yep. And essentially yeah. sends all those people to death. So some some fun, I'm using air quotes, some fun stuff to consider when right. you're talking about that. So throughout the core rule book and the different supplement books, there's a lot of the optional rules that are included in here. And just like everything else, there are optional rules when it comes to magic as well. So in the core rule book, there is an optional rule for magic called the swirling winds. And essentially this talks about how the winds of magic can swirl around in unfathomable patterns to where they can be unpredictable, which means that in order to, to use this, the GM is going to roll a D10, and based on what gets rolled on the D10, it might have no effect. It might, might give you either a plus 10 or a plus 30 modifier, or it might give you a minus 10 or a minus 30 modifier. This, I always like the idea of adding a little bit of extra chaos and unknown and some randomness into things. Not that rolling dice isn't already random as heck, but (laughs) in this case, I almost feel like it's too much that magic is already so deadly. Adding this as a modifier could, could throw things even farther out of whack, Well, but it is an optional rule. Definitely one to consider. See, I think of it as a way as where magic is weak or powerful in the area. So, like, it just means that magic is going to be easier or harder to cast. Sure. So, I don't know that it makes it more or less deadly. It's just giving you a bonus. In theory, I guess it could be more deadly because your chances to have a fumble are higher if it's less. But then your chances to have a fumble are less if if you have the bonus. 
So I don't know. I, be- I was almost thinking, though, I guess I might have interpreted this wrong, but that even in the middle of a battle, the winds could technically change, right? So you could be channeling a spell and you could be halfway to finishing it. But if the winds of magic were to make some dramatic change in that moment, it could make you know, make the finishing that spell that much harder. You're, Again, you're, it's an option rule for that reason. Right. You're right. Cause it says before every scene or even before every round. So like you could do it. I, I was thinking of it uh, from a scene point of view, but it, it could be for every round too. So dang. Yeah. That could be incredibly dangerous. Uh, and I, I do like the length at which they, they describe how this would work and they, it reminds you in here, even that if you have second sight, that would let you perceive these things before they happen, which again, kind of just hammers home how important some of those talents are. If you can see this, this change in the winds coming, then you know, to lay off or, you know, not, uh, right. Not continue through with what your plan was. And I think ultimately it does make it more thematic. It makes it more real to what it would actually be like. And again, magic is this, chaotic uncontrollable thing to begin with so i guess why not make it even even more so right in addition to the swirling winds of magic there was also some optional rules that came up in the enemy and shadows companion one of those is the spells of chaos so this talks about whenever you're using any of the chaos spells they can have significant hindrances and set you back in ways that i don't think i've seen anywhere else in any of the rules in these books uh it's where if you a roll double on a language magic or a channeling test if you're casting from a chaos lore results in memory loss of the spell which can Brutal. mean you lose one advance one advance of your choice from any skill not in your current career if you don't have an option to remove an advance you lose a talent in a non-current career from a non-current career instead which is I mean, we're talking potentially hundreds of lost XP. Yeah. From a, from a rolled double on a simple spell. And what's even worse than that is if you somehow don't have a non-current career skill, you can reduce or a non-current talent. You'd have to take a permanent one D 10 loss to intelligence, which Ooh. a single, a single, you know, if you were lucky and you rolled a one and you only lost a single point off intelligence, that wouldn't be the end of the world. But rolling, losing 10 off a characteristic, oh my gosh, that is like unbelievable. I realize that's probably not likely to happen very often, but even knowing that that's a possibility is... No, but even one could be, let's say you go from f- like a 41 to a 39, that means sure. you you lose one success level in every casting attempt automatically. It's- Yep. Mm-hmm. And so that yep. can be a huge, right? Because this game functions on success levels. So getting to the next tens level is way more, way bigger of an impact than individual, right? So like going from a 38 to a 39 is, is good, but not nearly as good as going from a 39 to a 40. I think, I think most people not even trying to like min max, if you're even just aware of how the willpower or how the not willpower, but willpower bonus or initiative bonus or intelligence bonus, how those work, you're constantly pushing those characteristics and those skills up to that next point. Yeah. Just so that when it comes around your willpower bonus or your whatever bonus strength bonus is going to trigger, you'll have that extra point. So yeah, losing, losing a hit on one of those would be substantial. Yeah. And it just goes to show that chaos is, chaotic and brutal Mm -hmm. and unforgiving if you're not careful 
Unforgiving, yeah. And I just have to point out, this is what we have before we have any chaos-specific rulebook for the system. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be some delicious like, stuff in there, let me tell you. Oh, it's going to be amazing, but just... <laughs> it's terrifying. Like, we've seen what the lore of Zeech is. You know, what's Nurgle? What's going to be Slaanesh? Uh, Nurgle is going to be know? absolutely terrible. And Slaanesh, I don't know how they're going to keep PG. Or even no. R, to be honest. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> it's going to be that MC-17 yeah. that we all have heard about. The last option rule that, that dir- ties directly into uh, magic is, again, in the Enemy in Shadows Companion. This is when talking about having horrors in your game. So not all horrors are going to be made the same. In fact, with the some of the rules that are in that book, you can make some really unique horrors mutated or not. Yeah. And this option rule lets you, instead of just taking the standard uh, stat block out of the book, if you want to roll, if you have the time, and if you want to roll each of their characteristics individually, you simply reduce them all by 10 and then add 2d10 to each. So you're reducing what your average would be and then potentially adding, you know, you could, if you got lucky or unlucky for the players, add 20 to those characteristics or the different, different stats. And that could be, that could be substantial. Good stuff. Hey, I really tend to like all the optional rules. I do too. Yeah, optional rules are optional, but they also can have for you know fun kinds. Now with spells, so like we said, that each lore—the lore of fire, light, shadows—you know, death—all those spells—they also come with the arcane. And arcane, the arcane are just kind of like upgraded versions of the petty spells. So we like magic shield, terrifying ward. And uh, I would like to challenge you, if you're planning on being a mage or a wizard or anything like that with magic, use your lore of magic and incorporate that with the arcanes. The ward, you wrap yourself in protective magic. Well, well, maybe if you have the lore of fire, that ward is kind of like fire burning around you. You know, it don't you know hurt anybody. It just gives you the the creature trait award nine plus but you know you can have fun with that you know like because that's all these arcane spells are and a way to make it more thematic to mm-hmm. your specific character i think it's a great idea absolutely yeah. and like we just said chaos magic they have the lore of chaos which is a different kind of arcane spells but also they also get arcane spells so like they'll also get ward and all that stuff terrifying magic shield they get access to those too so like you have even more options with chaos magic and as we've said earlier each color magic gets you more stuff like Lance said the lore of beasts you get fear you know fire if you uh for every ablaze condition you get more success levels so whatever lore that you are at look into this more because sometimes like that War of Fire, three ablaze conditions, you have three success levels right there. You know, that could be a life or death situation right there. And hey, whatever more success levels uh, always help. Absolutely. But I would like to challenge you guys, you know, what is your favorite choices of all the, the spells? So I have two. One is the, uh, the Treason of Zeech. And the reason I like this is it's kind of maybe more of a GM 
kind of spell to use because when you use it, you use base characteristics on any enemy you cast it on. So, like, I'll use my last one, Sebastian. You know, he had a pretty high willpower, but I added 15 uh, advances to make that. If I had the Treason of Zeech used on me, I lose those 15's advances right there. So now I'm easier to hit. Brutal. It's just amazing. Like I said, it's maybe more of a, a GMs or something like that. But, you know, you can't use advances. You can't use their talents. So, like, the talent gave a plus five to initiative. Well, he loses that five. You know, it's... It's like taking it's you amazing. back to a starting yeah. character, right? With, yeah. with anything, yeah. I mean, just look at some of the bestiaries in the core book. You know, they're kind of... They're the bare bones. You know, the bare bones troll. The bare bones human. You know, if you added stuff to that... Oh, treason of Zeech. Now you just have a 10 in weapon scale. You're not in a good way. Right. So there's that. And my other spell is the Fords of Shaman. And the reason I like that is because it's a CN of nine. But when you cast it, you can choose one weapon and remove one flaw or add one quality to it for willpower bonus duration. Um, let's look at the Warhammer. All right. It's an average reach. It's strength bonus plus six. And it has the damaging pummel quality and the slow. Use the Forza Shaman on it. You get rid of slow. Or when I was looking at it, you add the impact quality. What's the impact (laughs) quality? You use the units dice, that number, and add that to your damage. You know, that's even more damage. And damaging, you can use the units number instead of your success levels on that weapon. So if you have a nine, like if you rolled a nine on the units and you passed, you can use that for your success levels, that nine for extra damage, plus six, plus your strength bonus. Crazy. Like that Warhammer. Yeah. Like you could, you know, in a way, you just turned that regular Warhammer into uh, Galmarez. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a nine is still up there in that, but, you know, we got channeling, you got uh, ingredients and stuff like that, you know, theoretically. You could, you know, get uh, nine, not too bad. But I just thought that was amazing, the stuff you could do with that. And it doesn't say it has to be, you know, theoretic, so you can't put, you know, something that don't make sense. But it's just, I, I love the thought and the role playing that one could do with this spell. It's one of those spells that really lets you kind of game the game a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, you right. know, gives you the opportunity to modify things in a way that you wouldn't normally be able to. Yeah. What's your favorite, Matt? Dozens. So this probably will come as no surprise. I really love the transformation of Zinch, which is in Mm -hmm. the enemy of shadows companion. This one is at your command bonds of etheric fire coil from the earth enshrouding your targets in a cocoon of magical energy. Targets that are affected by this gain the prone condition and are considered helpless, which is all well and good. However, when the transformation of Zinch ends, there's an opposed challenging endurance test. If your target loses, they gain one corruption point 
plus one correction point for every success level that they lost by, mm. which the idea that you could, that's such a, such a dark and evil thing to do even to an enemy, right? You're not just killing them. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're potentially, you know, condemning them to death or to being hunted for the rest of their lives or just, you know, causing them uh, thinking back to what happened to poor Otto in our actual play. It didn't really have a huge impact because it happened moments before his death, but having these uh, horrible visions, horrifying visions, the thought of being able to force corruption onto other players or other, you know, enemies or whoever is just, it's a, such a wicked thing to consider. And man, who doesn't like rolling on the corruption table? So right. if, you, if you have a, <laughs> the means to force that, why not go for it? Nice. Nice. Think, think about a t- like the perfect time to spend uh, resilience to yeah right you know pick pick your success level if they have a bad roll okay well you take nine i'm gonna have nine success levels on this so you get 10 corruption have fun with that (laughs) dang (laughs) dang um you know i really don't have a like a favorite spell that i've seen here i'm I'm just I'll, i'll just put it out there i'm a big fan of the petty spells and arcane spells if you get your channeling you know skill up and things like that and you can just knock one of these spells off like every round uh, just there's so so many choices and it gets you out of so many troubles from making a light to making a bridge purifying water <laughs> if yeah. that goes off well but yeah I, I just like all the the general petty spells and arcane spells in general because i'm a simple guy i just want <laughs> simple things like open this lock you know Pe- petty things magic basic. is probably the most useful magic by far i i would agree mm, with sure. that it's the safest. Yes. Yup. Oh, by far. I mean, Don't there's a lane spell but... of flight. <laughs> you can fly if you want to. Right. Right. Oh, man. Okay. So I've actually said this in one of our past episodes, but my favorite spell, I mean, this could always change, but I usually come back to this one and it's Merc Ride. It's part of the lore of Hedgecraft. And this is speaking ancient words of magic. Your spirit leaves your body stepping into the hedge. The dark space between the material world and the spirit realm. For the duration, you stand apart from the world, able to witness it invisibly, but not affect it in any way. Physical barriers are no impediment to you, and you may walk through non-magical obstacles at will. Your body remains in place, immobile, insensate. At the end of the spell, you will be quickly and suddenly pulled back to your body. If your body is killed while you're walking the hedge, your spirit will wander aimlessly for eternity. just i think of all the things like we need to find out what's going on behind those closed doors like that is an absolute incredibly safe way to do it but i don't know man you better have the rest of your players protecting your body because Mm -hmm. man oh man can you imagine that just (laughs) (laughs) one of the things that's really great about that is that it has it has a channeling number of zero so like you could potentially pull that off in a lot of situations like you could be on the other side of a wall knowing that there's something happening on that you can't see or can't hear but you could just you know step into the hedge walk in there oversee what's going on and then come back it's really there's a lot of uses for that i know but my thought process to the in my evil gm mind goes man i want to put a situation in my players where they think it's their idea to use this spell 
and you can't choose to come back early. It's willpower bonus minutes, period. And now the rest of the players are fighting an oncoming battle, trying to keep you alive, because if anybody actually gets to you, you're helpless. You, they can just death blow you immediately. So yep. it just, man, that could be incredible. <laughs> I mean, from an evil sort of point of view. <laughs> I guess that brings us to some GM tips for magic. As we've gone through, magic is complicated. Uh, there are a lot of rules. That's kind of an understatement. Pretty much, if you want the rules in your game, uh, you'll have to know them. There's really no easy way to get by that by just rereading and getting to know them. Because simple skimming of the rules just won't do, especially like when you're in your game. Just going through the rule book every single spell or occasion, you know, that gets rough at times. Yeah. However, you're the GM. I mean, you, you have full control of the world. you got tons of things to think about, let alone your player sidetrack in the story. Uh, so <laughs> learn the rules, but if your players are playing Magic, they should know the rules. They should be able to at least you know explain what they're trying to do if they ask, hey, I want to do this spell. All right, sure. Um, but how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, you don't expect them to know it. Um, and ba- basically, once you're comfortable being a GM and you know the rules very well, you know, you may think you know them, but there's always going to be that weird situation where it's like, okay, I got to look this up. But, mm-hmm. you know, you got a group with you, so um, they should be able to help as well. So I think, and because and, this is one of the biggest pieces, I think, when really digging into magic that you learn is magic is complicated. It is one of the number one things. You, as a GM, if you don't understand that going in, if you go in half reading these rules and not having a full understanding of how it works, you can muddle your way through. That's fine. And I mean, we all do it. But the reality is, is that this magic system is really good. But there are a lot of moving pieces. And if you miss one or two key pieces of this, it makes a big difference in both the outcome and enjoyment, I think, of how this is. So I think it's just super important to to underscore that is you're running your first game of Warhammer ever. Maybe running a magic heavy game for your first session isn't a great idea, right? You have a lot of other things to learn. Magic has a has its a lot of its own rules. You gotta be aware that it's complicated. If you go in treating it like it's easy and simple, and I don't know, maybe you're smarter than me and can memorize more than I can, but man, I've been playing this game for a while and I still Anytime I think that Lynn in our actual play might get crazy with her magic, I read before that session the magic rules again, or at least go back through them and try to hit the pieces that I think she might use because I I just know that it's complicated enough that I forget stuff. Mm -hmm. So, and moving on, magic isn't just complicated, but it's also powerful. And as a GM, you have to be prepared. You have to be prepared that your PCs could roll well and they might put everybody in your story to sleep that you're going to overhear every single conversation they're going to light all of your npcs on fire and then they're going to hide while they're in plain sight you feasibly could have someone with good roles control your game and that's not a bad thing we could get in that's a whole nother episode where we talk about gm and players and controlling games but the big thing is is if you don't realize the potential that magic has to change everything it's gonna, you're gonna be unprepared. So you wanna be sure that there are f- a few problems for your players to solve that can't easily be solved by magic. So that's like a tip, right? If you got a wizard and they've been really smart about building and they only take risk in certain ways, so they're rarely 
doesn't go in their favor. Like just try to be careful that you don't put every problem in front of them that they can easily write. So you put them in a locked room, but they have the spell open lock. Okay. How about make them, sometimes you want to hit somebody in the dump stat, as you hear it said, right? So like if your magic user is constantly solving all the party's problems, hit them somewhere where they don't. Your fellowship sucks. Great. Magic isn't going to get you out of this situation, right? Things like that. Magic can get you out of every situation. Don't lie, Lance. (laughs) (laughs) I'm having an awkward conversation with this snowball. I'll just summon a portal and the demon will handle them (laughs) while I make an exit. See, and I think that makes a good segue into my next point, right? Indeed, indeed. um, First off, I'm not sure why you would try to balance a Warhammer game because it's basically impossible. But remember that magic is so such an uncontrollable variable that it can be both an I win button and an I lose button for your players. So they can have a good roll and wipe out all 10 of those orcs that just attack them potentially uh, with a really good roll, right? Or, or, it, Indeed. yeah, or your demons or demon. There you go. And that brings us to the point that magic is extremely deadly. And that is deadly in a system that is already talked about for being super deadly, that a single critical from a goblin to a slayer could be all it takes for a character to be killed. Well, with magic, the same thing could be said, but it could affect the whole party, right? A single miscast. And the prime example is looking back at what happened to Lynn in that actual play episode. She had a minor miscast on something as simple as trying to clean some water. And she ended up rolling poorly, had to roll twice on that same miscast table. And it could have easily meant the death of that, of just that one character, but just as easily is, you know, you could have a role that could mean the death of a whole party. So making sure that your players know that ahead of time is key to them not being surprised when all hell breaks loose. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we haven't talked about mad- magic being deadly since the second episode of this podcast and on, I, like, yeah, but speaking of Lynn and, you know, exploding like a, the volcano, magic is ingrained in the setting. You know, magic can help in many situations, but the normal average person is scared of magic. You got witch hunters who will hunt you down because you know you're a danger to the society you might have a license that says oh i can do this and stuff like that well it's the your word against the witch hunter you are the only one in this forest who do you think has the upper hand you know chaos loves you and is going to try to reach out to you but magic is essentially ingrained in warhammer also remember gms don't you know be sure to not punish your players for going about this route. Let them know the consequences for, oh, maybe starting a fire. They won't be able to just walk away from it, but don't overhandly smack their wrists anytime they want to try something. Yeah, and I think I think that's key, right? Because it's so ingrained in the setting that I, I often will read posts online, well, oh, but you use magic in a village, they are going to string you up and burn you at the stake because you used a petty spell to purify water. So yeah, is there pieces to that? Yes. But I think the important piece here is to understand that if your players are playing to the setting, then you need to reward that playing to the setting 
at the same time that there's consequences for what they do. Make sure to keep it fun, right? If right. your player mm-hmm. wants to cast some sweet spell and when they do, you're like, okay, well now the whole town is chasing you out. You're you know, being chased by dozens of uh, town guards and soldiers. That's just going to discourage them from using magic in the future, which maybe in some cases is a good thing, but it, if people aren't having fun doing it, then it's that's you're doing it wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Then people are just going to be like, oh, I don't want to play a wizard. Either kill my character or I'm just going to spend experience to not play it. You Like we said, it's ingrained in the system. Magic is going to come up. Have fun with it. Yeah, which brings us to magic is awesome. It um, is. <laughs> most of our stories we repeat and talk about usually have to do with just a simple spell being cast <laughs> and the true. consequences <laughs> of using magic. Uh, so magic in the system is, is great, but it's about managing risk because um, you got to realize that you may be trying to just cast a simple spell, but things might go wrong. You know, that's where the other kind of talents take a hold, you know, where you rolled a critical, but you may not or may have to roll on the miscast table depending on your talents and skills. But a hey, magic is com- so it's so powerful in this game here that it really has a potential to completely derail a session. So GMs, you, you've thought the storyline was going to go one route, and then all of a sudden, hey, that house isn't there anymore. It's just a crater. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you've got to be prepared to adjust because there's going to be some big swings. But overall, the failures of magic are, are memorable, and you just got to learn to laugh or cry or move on because uh, it's Warhammer. So even you know, just trying to clean water can turn into blood blood cano and we've repeated that a lot because it's just so funny how something so easy could just lead to holy crap (laughs) this is too much Um, but overall just have contact with your players because you just want to make sure everyone's aware of kind of what they're trying to do maybe consequences but overall just have fun and allow them to try spells if they want yeah, and I think that's a the contact of the players is a really good point, Steve, because it's important, like everything as a GM, it depends on your group and who you have playing at your table. But I think it's important, um, just like when you're going to in- introduce someone that may have never played Warhammer before, or maybe your version of Warhammer, it's important to have that player GM contract, that table contract that says, hey, we just need to make sure we're on the same page here, you know. We, we always say, hey, this game is not D&D, a single roll and you could be dead. Like that is the way this game is, is it is intense, it is bloody, it is scary and things go sideways. But if you're going to play a magic player, it is doubly or triply so. And, and if you can't handle the bad roll results in your you having to spend a fate point or your player, you know, or your character explodes magic may not be the right choice for you and arguably warhammer might not be the right choice for you it's it's something that you want to talk about up front could we you don't want a new player that's playing a wizard to be surprised all of a sudden like this is not what i thought a wizard would be i thought i'd be spell slinging like i do in D. sure maybe <laughs> not at all <laughs> maybe with the petty spells <laughs> <laughs> right all right so we got a theme here. We talked about how magic is complicated. It's powerful. It's deadly. It's ingrained in the setting and it's awesome. We talked about how we might do tips for the GM on those pieces. So let's talk about the players. Magic is complicated for you, the player for the exact same reasons as a GM. You can't just read the rules through once or skim them and expect to be good. Right. 
Magic users are not a vanilla character in this game. So you have to have some responsibility for knowing how magic works if you're going to select this character. I don't know. Maybe you have a GM that knows this rulebook inside and out and you're good and you just can learn it as you go along. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But I still believe that if you are going to play any sort of especially long-term campaign with a magic user, you as a player need to be prepared to take responsibility for learning the magic rules. I think it's the right thing to do, especially in this system. And with that, work with your GM. Don't be afraid to reach out. And this, I mean, this has nothing, really, this has nothing to do with, with magic. It's just with any game you ever play, you should always be willing to reach out to your GM and work through stuff. Try not to be the one holding up the entire table while you're flipping back and forth because you don't know the rules and maybe your GM doesn't know the rules. It's okay to look for rules every now and then and it can be fun and, and you know, that's fine. But if you spend an entire session where half of it is book diving, that's not a lot of fun. And really, really don't expect the GM to know how every single one of your spells work. I want to cast Tesla's Ark, for example. When Lynn says that to me, I say to her as a GM, great, how does that work? Because I don't know. I'd have to go look it up. She has spent the experience to get the spell, write it down, type it out, you know, something like that. And we've already kind of discussed how many different rules there are. It's always going to be hard to keep track of all of them. One tip I think that would be helpful for a lot of people would be if you're a magic user, make yourself a, a cheat sheet, right? Yes. Type up a mm -hmm. little aid so that you, you at a glance, you can be like, oh, shoot, I have this talent. So that miscast I just did that we already resolved, I actually shouldn't have done that. Just as an example of the kind of thing that could be. Played, That's a great one. I expect my GM to know every single. Me spell too. Me too. When I play. <laughs> All 200. <laughs> and if he doesn't, I criticize him or her behind their back. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> All right. So we know that magic is complicated, but again, magic is powerful. So as a player, be aware that you're, I mean, you could be gearing up for a huge battle. And as a magic caster, you might be able to end that battle in a single, in a single spell and be aware that you could, hog the spotlight by doing that so try not to as always the table should always all be having fun so be aware of your power and if you need to rein that back in so that the rest of the players at the table are having a good time i that should be something that you, know, you consider yeah, I really think about this, right? Like, so if you're in a session, it doesn't even have to be some big grand thing. It can be like, you're through the session. Great. So scene one, we're locked in a room. Great. I use unlock spell. Scene two, we're in a dark cave. I use a light spell. And then, you know, I do this or that. And I, oh, I cast a, like, by the time you're done with the adventure, the wizard has made a bunch of checks, hasn't miscast at all. And you guys went through the entire adventure and, you know, you're, you know, servant or clerk or noble or whatever might not have had a chance to do anything. Um, mm -hmm. So this really has to talk about about the the possibility that, especially with a bunch of good successful rolls, your wizard could roll through whatever's in front of you guys. It doesn't mean that maybe you don't let the thief try to lockpick the lock first, or you know, and also think about it that simple lockpick spell. I mean, sure. It could go really well for you this time, but it might blood cano you a different time. So maybe let the, the thief try first. 
Yeah, using the lockpick spell shouldn't necessarily be your first option for picking that lock. Right. Or using a light spell shouldn't possibly be your first idea for bringing light into a dark situation, right? Maybe there's a torch nearby. Maybe you are an owner of a very lucrative lamp oil company and you have plenty of oil. <laughs> like there's a lot of different factors that can come into play and, and magic doesn't always have to be the first option that you go to. So I have never, even in Warhammer, I've never heard of anyone that lit a torch and then had to spend a fate point directly because of lighting that torch. I'm sure there are probably games out there, but it wouldn't surprise me if someone said I cast a light spell and then had to spend a fate point. Wouldn't surprise me at all. No, that would be hilarious. <laughs> I was about to say, you know, it's like, but we've all heard stories of where, you know, they light a spell and, oh, it's, you guys go ahead. I got to pull and make another character <laughs> because you just fell over dead because your head exploded. <laughs> you know, on that topic, Magic is deadly. You know, we've we've talked about that countless times. You know, make sure you realize, you know, you tell your players like, hey, I'm a wizard, you know, and I might take out half this party just because of a spell I use and it went awry, you know. And also, hey, I'm out of fate points, so, you know, fingers crossed. <laughs> I think being a wizard in this game and having no fate points left, it's got to be... Oh, that's scary. I, I want to play that character just because I imagine every time you roll the dice to cast a spell, there must be like some intense intensity there because you just you have no way to stop it. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I always feel like those people, it's like, oh, to turn on my PlayStation, I can't look at the screen or it won't work. You know, it's stuff like that. Like I got no fate points. I'm going to cast, you know, this fireball spell. I roll it. I'm not going to look at it. You just tell me what it is. You know, I, I can't look at it because if I look at it, the RNG gods will decide today's the day you die. And nice. basically with magic, it, it's fully ingrained in the set, setting. It's deeply part of the Warhammer world. Uh, so, you know, beyond what we just said above, you know, be mindful of the experience of all other players. If you're a wizard, be a wizard. Embrace the system. Whether great, you kill the beast, or be it bad, you got a mutation or a fiery death. Just take it all in. It's a great experience. You know, it, it's those type of events are what create the memories for your group as well. 100% agree, Steve. Mm -hmm. And our last point, as above, magic is awesome, right? So remind your players, both subtly and in-game, when the wizard grows a new arm, roll with it. Just like Ma or, uh, Steve just said, right? This is Warhammer. You can always roll up a new soul for chaos. I mean, a new character. <laughs> so uh, I would like to make a point that if your wizard grows another arm, that's just an arm to hold the grimoire while you are <laughs> using your hand yeah. to channel. Like nice. <laughs> that's that's the classic wizard grimoire arm. So I don't want to hear about anything about it. Nice. <laughs> All right, guys, we've talked a lot about this. I, it's time for for final thoughts and conclusions. Who wants to go first? Magic is okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Magic, like I said, you know, uh, countless times and in other things. When I first started off and doing this, I, I was just frontline fire. But going through it with you guys and looking through the books, I've really come to appreciate magic. And just the stories, you know, of it, you know. People will talk about how you slayed that dragon. But at the same time, as we've 
countlessly brought up in this episode alone, we all remember the blood cano. You know, we laugh about it to this day. You know, you're going to laugh about it, and it's, it's great memories right there. Magic is awesome, and it's, you know, it, try to roll with the punches. Absolutely. Steve, Matt? I, I think anybody who's listened to this podcast for a while knows that I love all things that are fantastic and over the top, which is, you know, the character I'm currently playing is, you know, deals with religion and there's some awesome miracles and blessings that you can do. And just like with that magic is the same way that gives you the power to do some really, really unique things. But with that power comes a great responsibility for both the players and the GMs. I think I would always warn a player who is going to be, who's going to get into a magic career that it's, it's going to be a lot harder and there's a lot more obligation that you have than in other careers and in other, you know, play styles that you've got to know your stuff. There's a lot to consider a lot to keep track of. And as we've talked about many times in the past, you could be rolling up a new character before the next session because of a single, single failed role. And you know, never to take it for granted the kind of power that you wield as a spellcaster in the old world. Absolutely. Steve? Yes. Um, just magic is wonderful in this game. Not for the memories and the fun as well, but uh, it can really affect your gameplay. Even the little things, you know, that we were mentioning before. Oh, I'm in a cave. Oh, we just happen to have a wizard. Oh, what? We got light now. You know, it's <laughs> nice. Uh, especially when you really never carry a torch. <laughs> <laughs> But, but overall, with Magic, hey, uh, just an advice. If you want to start with Magic, you don't have to go full wizard. You can just kind of, you know, dabble in the, get the language Magicka. So you can start with the patty spells first, you know, and dabble with that. Because that'll re- really help your group, you know, barring any miscasts. But just the little things will help. Um, and that'll get you used to spells as you work and uh, gain some more talents and skills toward your Magic to be able to use the bigger stuff. But the petty spells or arcane spells will help you big time in general uh, when you game. And this is a great help for the group. Just have a wizard in the group. So um, go for it. Yeah, I everything you guys just said, I agree 100%. Um, I think my biggest thing is GMs and players, if you're going to play Magic in your game, yeah, you got to make sure that you guys are on the same page. Everybody, not just the the person playing Magic and the GM, but the entire table. Everything we've said, we gave you tips about how it's complicated and how to offset that and how to deal with the fact that it's deadly and powerful and and all of that. But the the biggest thing I think that everyone needs to do is that you got everybody's got to be on the same page. You listen to us and and if you can't embrace the fact that things are going to go horribly wrong, and if you can't laugh about that, then it, maybe magic isn't the system. And, 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 and honestly, maybe, I keep coming back to this. Is Warhammer really your system? Um, because Warhammer is a crazy, deadly thing. And if you can't laugh that your character just blew up, then... I'm not saying that it isn't an emotional moment that a character you played for years is is now you know, the character sheet is put down and you have to create a new one. I'm just saying, like, if if you have anger about that, then you have to realize this is magic in the old world. Like, if you think about the setting, I think the rules do a really good job of reflecting the setting. And that that is that magic is incredibly risky. This isn't D&D where I just have to go sleep for a few hours and now I can get more spell slots or whatever. And I'm not saying that's a bad system. 
I'm just saying that is not a system I prefer because when I have to cast a spell and I realize that there is a chance that this could go horribly, horribly wrong, yet as a player and a GM, I sit there secretly hoping that that happens. You know what that tells me is that this rule set was written perfectly or dang near. So that's my two cents. This is a great system. Embrace it. Love it. Go blow yourselves up or go blow up some orcs or whatever else your GM throws in front of you. Or do both. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! What a topic. So, everybody, that's the end of our show tonight. Thank you, the Lord of the Underdeep, for joining us again. Lord, Lord of, of the, the Underdeep. Underdeep. I love it. That never gets old. It's fun to have you. Yeah, no problem. It's always, always a pleasure great to time. be on here. So, intrepid listeners, keep in touch. Let us know your questions, feedback, and even show topic suggestions. You can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website at www.oldworldpodcast.com, Twitter at Old World Podcast, or at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Old World Podcast. And while you're checking us out on the various social interwebs, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. For only a couple dollars a month, you can support the show and get some cool rewards too. We also have a shop at oldworldpodcast.com slash store. You can get some cool Old World Podcast merchandise, so check that out as well. So let us know what you think. Visit iTunes or your preferred podcast service and rate us. Every review helps us reach even more Warhammer fans. All right, so this is Lance saying good night and embrace the miscast. You son of a... Oh, this did is I Matt. steal it? <laughs> No, it's fine. <laughs> this is Matt reminding you to embrace the chaos for it will never let you go. This is Steve and may the winds of magic be on your side. And this is Nolan saying, don't worry, guys. I'm sure I won't miscast this time. Ah! <laughs> That's awesome. This podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC.